Today's guest is Kinji Japra. He's the CEO of PLGA LLC, which is focused on building out a fully featured financial suite for churches, which is a really cool idea. So I, I, kudos for you to, to see the target market. Uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, Jeremy. Pleasure to be here. So uh, talk a bit about yourself. Uh, where are you from, who you are, and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I consider myself to be a polymath, first and foremost. You know, I'm multilingual. I'm a musician, dancer, reader, engineer. Most importantly, a lifelong learner is how I would classify myself. I was born in Queens and grew up in Long Island in a middle-class family of immigrants with one older brother. Uh, I heavily invested in math and science from a very young age. Uh, you know, I, I, and because of that, I naturally found myself gravitating towards computer science. Most of my career, however, I spent gaining valuable knowledge in the fintech industry. Uh, you know, think like banking, credit cards, payments. I started my professional career back in 2018 in a fintech lending platform called Octane. There, I massively grew my career throughout the almost four years that I was there. I went from engineer to senior engineer to uh, engineering manager in under four years. And from there, uh, you know, sort of took the took the leap and the risk to uh, co-found my own company. And uh, I co-founded a company here in the city called Contrast, that's New York. Um, as CTO, I helped build this banking platform from ground up. And this was a platform that provided customers for uh, with cash back for buying made in America products. Hmm. Um, there was a huge demand for this that we saw. Um, unfortunately, with various circumstances, uh, the company did not survive, uh, you know, with, with the current economy. But since then, I've been increasingly involved in the MicroSaaS and indie hacker community. I've incorporated a new company where I'm taking a non-institutional funding route to launch a new fintech product. And as you mentioned, uh, in this case, is a it's a fully featured financial suite for churches. That's pretty interesting. Now, now uh, before we start recording, you were talking about uh, how you started getting into it talk a bit about that yeah i mean you know based on stories I, I think this goes like way back even even stories that my family would tell me from before i even remember you know i was a very curious child i had a knack for getting myself in trouble for sure uh you know even for, there's a story that my parents always tell me uh, when i was around two years old um you know i was at a family gathering i put on my shoes i waved everybody goodbye and I wound up halfway across Brooklyn looking to purchase a new boat. Oh, you know, I I can't tell you why. Maybe a younger version of me, like, really loved boats. But, uh, you know, it just shows this overarching trend that as I continue to grow older, I found myself a little more uh, unconventional and gravitating towards uh, math and science. Um, around four years old, I was sitting on my parents' old gateway computer. I was playing all these, like, math games on the computer, um, just, just really, you know, thankfully before the years of YouTube and cat videos, I did not get distracted. I was purely focused on, you know, just this kind of stuff. Cause it was a lot of fun for me. Um, and being sort of a child of the internet, uh, around fifth grade, I found myself programming in, um, in a scripting language called Lua and with some occasional SQL. And, you know, it's very interesting because, you know, here I am in elementary school and what ended up happening was uh, as a kid who also liked to play video games, 
Um, there was this kind of video game that I used to play back in elementary school. It was a modification for a pre-existing game. That game was a Grand Theft Auto, but this was like an online modification framework that someone else had made. And what happens is somebody, uh, if you as a gamer wanted to play with other people online, uh, you would go through this modification and choose a server from a list of servers and join that server. And now you have this whole open world where you could play with other people. Um, at that time, I befriended this guy who lived in the UK. He was probably about 16 years old. Um, and, you know, he must have had some part-time job or something. He was like, hey, I'm willing to start a new server if you want to do it with me. I'll pay for it. Are you able to code? And I said, not really, but, you know, I could, I could figure it out. Um, so after a lot of Googling and just, you know, testing things out, uh, we ended up creating a server, which essentially, you know, within this sort of Grand Theft Auto universe, people were able to uh, role play as different characters. Like if you want to be a cop, if you want to be a truck driver, if you want to be anything. And the scripting language that I used allowed me to uh, create ways that players could interact with the virtual world in, 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 in the multiplayer sense. Um, so there was a lot of like creative outlets on how we wanted the server to look. We had maybe about 30 to 40 active users per day. Um, but that was that was really the start of me learning, hey, I could write some piece of code, translate this into something that other people could use. And now people are having fun and they're playing this game. Um, so naturally, because of that, I went into high school uh, you know, taking all the computer science courses, doing AP computer science, uh, choosing my college major was, you know, a piece of cake for me. I basically went into Stony Brook University uh, with uh, my computer science major already declared. And, you know, that was that was the formal education that I had. That's very interesting because um, not, not I mean, while a lot of people could say, yes, they, they messed around with tech, but coding in elementary school is probably a little more unusual. Um and it does, I think, speak a little bit to your entrepreneur spirit that you just figured it out, right? I just that challenge, learn, do. Um, and that is something that I've seen through talking to entrepreneurs like yourself that is a core aspect of their character. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I came from a family of, uh, you know, sort of entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, my parents, uh, you know, being immigrants, they've also come here and they've also you know, as far as I remember, always had their own business, um, always looking for creative ways to grow that as well. So I, I definitely caught on some of that. So as you came out of college, as you know, or when did you actually get your first job? Was it while you were in college or did you roll it out of college? Um, so it was a bit of a mix. My first professional job I got back in 2018, right after college. Um, but uh, I, I still sort of helped out. So my parents owned a transportation company and I would still sort of help out around the company in the, in the sense of if my parents needed help automating some tax returns and so on, those calculations would take forever. But just writing some quick JavaScript or something that, you know, they could just put in some numbers and just populate a spreadsheet, uh, you know, stuff like that, just minor scripts to like speed up the process for them. That was something I was doing for a while. Well, wow, that's pretty interesting. So, I mean, you talked about how when you uh, started, I think at Octane, how you you in four years, right, you went from entry to to uh, a manager position. H how did that how did that path work for you? I mean, I, and I asked this question because um, a lot of technical people don't take that leap to management, right? They want to be the techie, 
Uh, how did that work out for you? Yeah, so I always like to say that being a manager and a people leader actually made me a better individual contributor and an engineer. Um, but the, the initial jump, I wouldn't say it was the jump that I was initially expecting to make. Uh, I love engineering. I love coding. That's always been something that's been very close to my heart. But going into people management, the way that I saw it was, uh, and, you know, this goes with a lot of other things as well, like, A, does it make me uncomfortable? Is this something that I don't know how to do? And am I going to struggle while doing it? And if if those questions are, if the answer is yes, then I would say it's more likely that I should do it because it's something that I should be able to learn. Hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it, it was quite a jump. It was quite a context switch going from basically coding for most of the time to going to people management basically all of the time. And a lot of it was also coaching and mentoring and onboarding and processes. And, you know, as a company, we were growing very, very quickly at that time. We went from about 50 engineers to about 150 engineers in three months. Um, so a lot of cross-team dependencies came about and, uh, you know, being able to navigate the minefield in that sense. Um, it, it was quite a challenge, but it's very rewarding as well. Yeah, it's interesting. So then what... What drove you to start the first company? Uh, so what drove me initially, so something else I like to say is, uh, and maybe this is like more of the entrepreneurial side of me, but I like to say that you work your full-time job in order to fund your risk. <laughs> and the, the reason I say that is because uh, you know, starting a company, it's not, you know, you have to sacrifice a lot for that. And, you know, when you're going through the industry, you have to think about, well, where, where are your priorities? Are your priorities to make as much impact in the company that you're currently in as possible? Is your priority, and for some people that might be making as much money as possible, for some people that might be having a stable lifestyle, maybe uh, work-life balance and so on. Uh, for myself, um, my biggest priority going into the industry and then also largely the reason why I wanted to go co-found the company was to go into places where I haven't been before. Let me try starting a company if this is uncharted territory and if it's going to make me uncomfortable. Um, it's a risk that I want to take, especially since I'm very young and it's a good time to do so. Um, so so that was sort of the, the, the trigger that uh, had me take the leap of faith. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and that does make sense, right? Yes, you're right. Absolutely. When you're young, take those opportunities, try a few things. Uh, take, you know, uh, balance the risk, risk reward and see what happens. So I would I definitely agree with you. Um, now what, so what happened as you said that that, you know, ultimately didn't work out, where did, what happened next? Yeah. So, um, you know, we thought about a lot of different routes to take with the company. Um, you know, we our seed round funding essentially fell through when our partner bank ended up dropping our program at the last minute. We were a fintech company. We had a banking, we had a bank partner that we were using at that time. Um, so after that had fallen through, uh, we decided, and it was the best interest uh, amongst our, you know, all the co-founders to just you know close the company and just sort of move on. Um, so after that, I, I did spend some time sort of recalibrating and sort of thinking about the industry as well. Um, I think a lot about, you know, having a stable nine to five and going into, uh, you know, going into a stable job. Uh, there's all there's pros and cons to that. And there's pros and cons to having to like start your own company as well. But something that, uh, you know, I encourage every engineer to think about this as well, especially engineers, because what happens is, you uh, 
for and for most uh, co-founders, for most people starting a company, they have this chicken and egg scenario where they need to raise money in order to build something. Mm -hmm. But in order to raise money, they need to build something. <laughs> so they get stuck between a rock and a hard place. But something that's very unique for especially for engineers today is that uh, they don't necessarily need to raise money to build something. If you have the knowledge and the expertise and you have you know, the sort of drive to go and build something, um, you know, you don't really get caught in that chicken and egg scenario. And you'll notice this a lot in like the micro SaaS community, the indie hacker community and so on. So because of that, uh, I thought that it might be useful to really tap into that competitive advantage. Um, but also because uh, as an engineer, um, I also understand that there is opportunity to make widespread impact in underserved markets. Um, so, you know, uh, as an entrepreneur, something that I would constantly think about as I walk about my day uh, and I'm speaking to people is, you know, what are some problems that people are having, uh, you know, in their current situation? I was speaking with my pastor at my church, and uh, this was one of the issues that came about where, uh, where you know, donations are a huge uh, sort of huge part of church um, you know, the church environment, like tithing is a huge part of church environment. And all the platforms that currently exist within that that domain, uh, they charge a lot of money. And they take a large percentage of those donations as well. And given my fintech knowledge and my experience building fintech products, the first question I asked myself was, why is that the case? And how could we undercut some of that? Um, and, you know, uh, looking at sort of, uh, you know, doing a gap analysis with all the competitors and seeing what features they have, uh, it occurred to me that this was a market that could actually use a lot more competition than it actually has. And, uh, you know, that sort of prompted me to think about, okay, maybe a fully featured financial suite for churches might make a lot of sense. But the first thing to always do is to talk directly to uh, the customer that you will be serving and see what is the very, very specific nitty gritty problem that they have. How could you solve that first thing and then expand it out from there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. I, I happen to know a bit about that market because uh, I used to build websites for churches Uh on the side until, you know, content management systems came about, right? And then mm -hmm. they could more easily, and there are church hosting platforms that have come out that make website stuff so much easier for somebody not to custom build it. And the same thing for um, for this now, right? Or, or actually before that, web, uh, mobile apps, right? There's a couple companies mm -hmm. in the space that have really monopolized on creating quick, fast, easy mobile apps targeted at the church environment. So I think you might be onto something here because that, that financial aspect is still kind of wild west, if you will. Um, and uh, just taking payment is only one half of that, you know, or one small slice of the financial equation. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's this whole other piece of what is the customer, well, not customer journey, but what is the sort of congregation journey, uh, meaning that, well, the moment from when somebody is interested in attending a church to the moment they go to the church and get integrated within that church, what does that user experience look like? And what could we do, do? And, you know, how could we build technology to help facilitate that? And maybe that might blend into sort of the donation platform as well. Um, there's a lot of very useful metrics that churches could have. How many first-time donors do we have, for example? What's the average amount and so on? And maybe, you know, making a platform that's more tailored towards uh, providing churches with the information they need, but also facilitating that, uh, you know, that journey for the, 
for the first time churchgoer, uh, that could be a, you know, a huge help for a lot of churches. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, so as you've gone through your career, um, what's something you've seen that if we came to you and we said, you know, Kenji, you get to make a change or, or you get to suggest a change. Maybe the problem is so big. It, it, we just need to start thinking about it. What's, mm-hmm. what's that, what's that something that you've witnessed that you think we should consider? Yeah. So it's an interesting question. I think uh, at least from the sort of company environment and structure, something that I've started to notice, and maybe this ties into my preference of, you know, uh, gravitating towards startups, uh, but companies do tend to have a lot of, as they grow, they tend to have a lot of process and structure. Uh, something as an engineering manager that I had to consider was, is there a point of over-engineering process mm-hmm. where the process starts to overtake uh, the actual engineering work that needs to be done? And uh, something that I would recommend, so this sort of goes both ways. Uh, you know, there's there's definitely a responsibility that comes onto the company on how to make sure that there is a, sort of a clear table for engineers to play on. But then there's also the side of the engineers where it's important for people to be as proactive as possible. My golden rule is if you never ask, you will never receive. And you know, an example of that is um, as a new engineer to a company, um, it's very easy to be placed in a sort of box where you may be told that, hey, this is where your skill sets are. And it will take this amount of time for you to get out of this box, uh, whether that's like the next level of promotion or whether that's increased responsibilities and so on. But uh, it's easy to get stuck in that routine as an engineer where it's it's like, uh, is there an important meeting in which you think you could contribute? And if you can, as an engineer, ask to join. Don't wait for somebody to tell you. Mm-hmm. If the answer is no, um, you know, you sort of, you have a clear way of learning what you need to do in order to increase your qualification for something like that. But on the flip side, if you never ask, you will never know. So an important thing of really propelling your career is just ask, you know? Um, And if there's something you do not know, it's important for you to sort of learn what your long-term vision is and go learn it. Uh, And, you know, some people really like this sort of like strict, rigid corporate structure. And some people don't, you know, it's definitely a mix, but, um, you know, just being more proactive and just companies also understanding and helping facilitate this process for engineers and even reminding engineers, hey, you should be just as proactive about your career as we are, you know, as as we try to be, you know, so it it definitely goes on both ends. Yeah, it's very interesting. I definitely agree. Definitely agree. So what's coming up for you in 2023? Yeah, so... You know, I want to continue to build and solve, you know, solve big problems. Uh, This is a platform that I'm continuing to work on at the moment with a sort of church donation platform. But I guess being an engineer at its core, you know, at at my core, it's also tinkering and creating solutions for problems that I see. And uh, in that sense, I guess you could call entrepreneurs uh, sort of social engineers because they're Mm -hmm. engineers in more of a social sense. Um, it's it's the sort of same concept. You see a problem, you try to solve it. And I guess there's a sort of, um, you know, a, a double benefit of being an engineer when you actually see something and you could also solve it. Right. Um, 
you know, looking to launch some high quality software platforms that, you know, fill underserved holes in people's lives. Um, I will mention, however, and I haven't put this out of question yet, um, there, there is a potential for me to run for office in the future. It's something that's a huge, uh, you know, sort of tangent, a huge shift for me. Um, it is something that's always piqued my interest, uh, but something I will more so consider in due timing. Wow, that's that's something we'll have to see. And Kinji, I wish you well in that endeavor as you make those considerations. Um, and I can't wait to see what happens for you. Thank you. I appreciate it, Jeremy. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, I, it's been very interesting hearing your journey. And I love talking to entrepreneurs because they have such energy and such positivity about the po possibilities of the future. So thanks again for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Love everything you're doing here.